number six today. You know, it is an exciting moment, and, and, and Joe mentioned it earlier, you know, uh, to be able to be together as a church family on Christmas as we were last week, and, uh, and then here we are on the first day of the new year. And it kind of puts us in a, a moment of reflection and yet also anticipation. You know, if you do anything uh, with the inventory of your own life, and I believe in inventory of my life. I believe in having pausing moments where I stop and I kind of look back to where I've been and kind of reflect and contemplate. But then I always want to be somebody that anticipates, right, something better. And when you're in anticipation, if you've had a difficult year, then it's easy to want to anticipate something better. But if you've had a good year, you know, the, the, the thought can be good can become the enemy of the best. Just because you've had a good year doesn't mean God can't have something even greater in store for you for the next calendar year. And, uh, but I, I've had this thought in my mind, and we're going to read a verse of Scripture, just one verse of Scripture today, and I'm going to do something a little bit different in my preaching style today. We're going to just kind of journey through the life of a man by the name of Daniel for just a few minutes this morning. And then I've got some bullet statements that I believe are applicable for your life, uh, not just this year, but it's beyond. This is the thought that I've had in my heart. This is just to be honest. I, I'm believing God for an exceptional year. Yes, absolutely. But beyond that, it's an exceptional life. That's what I'm in pursuit of, right? I don't want it to just be bound to one 365-day calendar period of time when I look back and said, man, that was a good season. But that I said, you know what? I lived with an exception. I lived an exceptional life. God worked in my heart and by his grace. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, right? And so we, we want to anticipate. I'm telling you, God can bless your life, right? Beyond just the borders of a 365 calendar day. And so we're going to look at the life of Daniel. And this third verse of the sixth chapter captures for us a mark of the character of Daniel. And it's that that we have to delve into today. In the third verse, it says, and it's on the screen as you see, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. And I wrote this down. Uh, in this way, just in my, in my personal thoughts, just real quickly, it says that to have an exceptional year, you have to have an exceptional spirit. Is that right? And, and the word excellent here in the King James Version of the Bible actually can be also uh, extraordinary, not ordinary, uh, exceptional. So I'm going to use it in that context. And it doesn't necessarily begin with what happens to you, but rather what happens in you. Come on. It's got to begin in here before it ever happens out here. And so, again today, we're going to take a few minutes of time, and I'm going to journey with you down a familiar road, just looking briefly at the life of Daniel. And then I'm going to just kind of close with what I believe are some bullet points drawn from his experiences that if you and I, again, as Joe said earlier in the book of Joshua, if we can read and meditate and ponder and then apply the Word of God, then what happened in his life, to a degree, some of those principles will work in our lives today. Amen? Father, we love you, and we are grateful for this opportunity to be here today. And I'm grateful, God, as always. Anytime I've ever come to this house downcast or disheartened or distressed or in anything, Father God, uh, I have been always lifted by the countenances of my friends. God, your word says that as iron sharpens iron. God, I, I'm lifted by their encouragement. I'm lifted by their prayers. 
And today, God, uh, certainly this stands out, and I'm so grateful for that today. But I know that maybe I'm not alone. Maybe there's someone else that came here today uh, afflicted at some degree, whether it be physically or emotionally, certainly spiritually, God, today. But, Lord, I pray by being in your presence and by being with your people, God, you're lifting their countenance as well. And, Father, we're ready for the word of God, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today with great clarity of thought and imagination, Father. Let us ponder these things in our heart. And, Father, write on the fleshly tablet of our heart today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen Amen. and amen. Now, as you are seated, just real quickly, I know that as we go into the new year, as has been mentioned previously, that, you know, we often have resolutions and we often have goals and things that we set. And us as a staff, I've already written down some things from my private devotions on uh, Friday that I that I hope to see you know for the for the upcoming year and I remember cliches new year new you those type of things and uh, we've often done these things individually um, but I, but I want to say this real quickly uh, concerning saying goodbye to a calendar year and anticipating of a new calendar year let me just toss this out to you just real quick number one most spiritual experiences are in season not simply a calendar date just so that you'll know that. Primarily, God works in a season beyond just a date. So we can't just arbitrarily say because the date has changed from December 31st to January the 1st and the season that we were in is suddenly going to change. So we have to be prepared. I want, but it doesn't mean that we won't have a changing season. We can have a changing season, but we've got to be aware of where we are at right now. Number two, as I've already said, I want more than an exceptional year I want to live an exceptional life. And I feel God just awakening something in my heart and in my life to to elevate to a degree, to lift. Because point number three, very quickly, it's easy to settle for average or worse. It's easy to settle for it. For average or worse, we must plan to be exceptional. Let me say that one more time. It's easy to settle for average. It's easy to settle for even worse than average. Because that's born of a carnal nature, right? Poor habits that evolve from undisciplined lifestyle that that are born of our carnal appetites and our fleshly man. It's easy to settle for those and to allow those to dominate us. We have to plan to be exceptional. I believe just by being here today, a part of the plan of God for your life and the plan in your heart is that you want more. You want to be more. You want to be exceptional. It was said of Daniel here in the sixth chapter, the third verse, it was that he had an excellent spirit. Now, if you'll understand the context of Daniel's life, Daniel uh, lived and ministered during a very difficult time in the history of the nation of Israel. And he had one of the longest ministries that's recorded in all all the Word of God. The children of Israel were held in what's called the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And Daniel ministered almost the entirety of that time. And what, what stands in, that stands out about this text of Scripture, just to note this very quickly, as it's recorded here in Daniel chapter number 6, that Darius the Mede here uh, recognized this excellent spirit. That is the fourth monarch. That's the fourth monarch that, da- that Daniel's life had overlapped with, that each one of them saw and discerned something uniquely different about Daniel's life. So it wasn't just a once-in-a-lifetime moment. It was a lifetime of living an exceptional life for the glory of God. Now, when we think about Daniel for just a moment, many of the time you think about his prophetical dreams that 
he had had later are visions that he received from God that's recorded kind of in the 7th through the 12th chapter of the book, but we're not going there. We're just simply looking at the principles that, that I've seen in Daniel's life. First of all, the, to note how Daniel arrived in Babylon, if you just look back to the first chapter of the book of Daniel, you don't have to go there now, but in your private devotions for just a moment, the scripture tells us that not only, that again, in 586 B.C., Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. But before they destroyed Jerusalem, they had captured Jerusalem. And in capturing Jerusalem, they went in and they drew out certain men, young men, that they would raise in the palace at Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar that would be not only translators, but would be kind of mediators to the, the lifestyle of the Jews that were brought captive from the land of Israel to Babylon. And so they searched out young men that there was, the Bible says that there was no blemish, that there, these were quality young men. And it's highly possible that Daniel was 16 years of age when he was captured, a very young man who had aspirations and, and had expectations and had dreams and visions and hopes for God. And suddenly his life was turned upside down. I'm telling you, life is fickle. Life can be funny and things that you can anticipate, they're going to turn one way. Well, you look up and they'll go a, a totally different way. And if you read that first chapter of the book of Daniel, you'll find that he was assigned to be with the eunuchs. It's very possible. It's hard for us to fathom this. But that Daniel was possibly made a eunuch in the household of Nebuchadnezzar. And by being made a eunuch, it's highly possible that he faced castration. And so when you think about this, you think about a 16-year-old young man who was one day living in uh, Israel with the expectation of the blessing and the favor of God upon his life. And suddenly, days, weeks, months later, he's held as a captive in Babylon. He's been castrated, and his life is turned upside down. But I'll tell you what, though his life was turned upside down, he had a faith in God as a young man, a very strong and a vibrant faith in God. And one of the things that the, kings did, that the king did was that the young men that were chosen, again, to be both translators and also to be mediators between Babylon and the Jewish people, the young men would be raised and given a certain diet for three years while they were going to school. It would be like going to school on a full scholarship. I mean, a full scholarship. They ate from the king's table, everything that was on the king's table that these young men would have uh, the privilege of eating at. The problem was, though, is that Daniel looked at what was on the table, and it wasn't in according to his commitment to God based upon the Mosaic law. The Babylonian people did not adhere to the strict dietary requirements of the Mosaic law. And so here Daniel is faced with a tremendous choice, and that is either to, uh, to submit to the requirement of the king or to remain true to his conviction. And so he asked the, 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 the head of the eunuchs, he said, and this is a powerful passage, and you have to read this on your own later because this sets the precedence. This is perhaps the key moment in Daniel's life that sets the precedence. Daniel's got a commitment to God that he's willing to prove, and that's a very important principle that we're going to talk about in a few short moments. And so he looks at this spread that's on this table with all the meats and all the, the foods and all the wines that belong to the, to the, to the king of, uh, of Babylon, and, 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 he, and he asked the, the, the head of the eunuchs, he said, would you allow me and my close comrades to eat nothing but beans, just beans and water for, three, for, for 10 days, for 10 days? And at the end of 10 days, you look at us, and then you look at the other men that are eating of the table fare of the king, and you just judge. And then you make a decision, and we'll go from there. And so the, the, the head of the eunuchs uh, uh, agreed to that uh, arrangement. And so uh, after 10 days, 
He drew the men out and he compared them. And the Bible says that the countenance of Daniel was fair and fat, looked healthier, more prosperous than all the others. And so he agreed to allow Daniel to, to just remain with that diet during the three years that he was there uh, in, in the Babylonian palace there in his schooling during those, that time period. And that's a powerful principle because that began to awaken because that commitment that Daniel made in his heart, that began to awaken certain gifts and callings that God had deposited in him from birth. Things that were inside of him but maybe he didn't know about. But because of that commitment that he made to God, then all of a sudden Daniel began to, to surface. Gifts began to surface in his life. He began to have wisdom supernaturally given to him. Understanding of sciences and mathematics, things that that people had to spend years and years studying to learn. Daniel supernaturally was just given understanding in these things. Daniel's given insight to dreams and visions. And so it's, it's clear by the text there that over a period of time, Daniel is using that gift for the glory of God, and he's using it for the good of man. And there's a translation, or transition from the first chapter to the second chapter of the book of Daniel because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. The king has a dream. And, he, and, and in this dream... He, he, he awakens, and, and he can't remember the dream. And when he awakens and he can't remember the dream, the dream was so impound, impacting upon his life, he called for all of his astrologers and his magicians and all those that he believed had ability and visions and dreams. And he said, I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And all the astrologers and the magicians said, we have never even heard of any king anywhere that has put that type of requirement upon the, the astrologers or the wise men. They said, if you'll just tell us the dream, then we'll tell you the interpretation. And their response caused uh, Nebuchadnezzar to grow so angry that he sent out a decree to kill all the wise men. And so one by one, they began to selectively kill the wise men or the magicians or the astrologers or those that had understanding and visions and dreams. And they came and they knocked on Daniel's house too. And when they did, Daniel said, why is this decree so hasty? And when he found out what was going on, he said, go back to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel's character bought him just a little bit of time. I'll tell you, character is a big thing in the kingdom of God. Come on, his character bought him a little bit of time. He said, give me one night. Give me one night. That's all I need. Just give me one night. And he said, and then I'll tell the king his dream and the interpretation. And it's a powerful story, and I love the second chapter of the book of Daniel because he calls us three familiar friends, and we know them primarily by their Babylonian names, and that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He calls those three men to him, and he says, guys, he said, listen, we, we got, this is an urgent thing that we've got to do. This is a life or death. Others have already perished, and we're going to perish too unless God intervenes. I'm telling you, sometimes we find ourselves in some difficult situations. And the powerful thing here is that Daniel did not spend the night fretting. You know what he did? He spent the night praying. And when he began to call upon the name of God, he asked Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, he said, would y'all begin to pray with me and let's trust the Lord and let's ask God. And in the middle of the night, the God who reveals dreams, opened the dreams, opened the understanding of Daniel and revealed to him what the dream was and the interpretation. And when Daniel came into the king's presence the very next day, I tell you, he didn't come in with an arrogancy or pride. He came in humbly before the king, and he said, King, we want you to know that I'm about to tell you what you dreamed, and I'm about to give you the interpretation thereof. But he said, I'm not doing it because I'm greater in might or greater in wisdom or greater in understanding than any other man. I'm here to tell you I'm in your presence with the answer to your dilemma because the God, come on, the God of my fathers has revealed this to me in direct answer to prayer. And so what a powerful moment that Daniel is now given. Just a few months or years earlier, he was, uh, he was taken captive, and now he's standing before the king with an opportunity to testify to the glory of his God. 
and he reveals to the king his, both his dream and his interpretation. And when the king hears it, he doesn't experience conversion at this particular time. He doesn't experience conversion, but he glorifies the God of Daniel. And he acknowledges that Daniel's God is a real and a living God. And he makes Daniel the head over all the other governors in the land. He, he, he takes him to a place of prominence and authority. And Daniel then requests that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be added to him. And if you follow this passage in Scripture and you go down just a little bit further, and all I want to do is just, just sojourn with Daniel for just a few minutes before we arrive right back at the 6th chapter and just conclude. And when you read later in the 3rd and then the 5th chapter, you'll find that Nebuchadnezzar later, due to pride and arrogancy, he had another dream. And in this dream, he saw the dream, but he didn't understand the interpretation. And so once again, he turns to Daniel. And Daniel prays, and God reveals to him the answer. And this is a very difficult one because this one involves the judgment of God upon Nebuchadnezzar because of his arrogancy and his pride. And so when Daniel comes in to bring the interpretation, if we can only think for a moment of time the strength of character and the strength of faith that it would take for this young man to stand in the presence of this despotic monarch and announce and pronounce the judgment of God upon him, knowing that any moment and any instant Nebuchadnezzar could have turned to his henchmen, to his soldiers, and said, take away this Jewish captive, get him out of my sight, kill him, and destroy him. But Daniel had the courage to speak the truth of the word of God. Daniel interpreted the dream and announced the judgment of God because of Nebuchadnezzar's pride and arrogancy. He would be smitten by the hand of God. And for seven years, for seven years, he would eat grass like an ox or an animal. And the Bible then tells us that it happened exactly as Daniel interpreted the dream. And that for the, it was about a year later, Nebuchadnezzar was walking in his palace and he looked over all his kingdom, standing from a high place on his wall. And he looked, and he looked at all of his kingdom, and he said, Look at all that I've done, everything that's been accomplished since I've been the king of Babylon. And suddenly, the voice of God through an angel spoke to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, You're going to be humbled, and you're going to eat grass like an ox of the field until you know this one principle. You know this one principle that the Most High God, the God of Daniel, rules and reigns in the kingdoms of men. And the Bible then tells us that, De that Nebuchadnezzar lost his reasoning and he was driven from men like an animal and he lived outside. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it was like for the people of Babylon to, to, to pass by the courthouse of their king and to see their king not on a throne passing judgment, righteous judgment for the people, but chained to a stake eating grass in the front yard of the, of the palace. For seven years, seven times, the scripture says, those dates would pass over him until his body grew hair almost like an animal. His claws came forward like an animal's. But at the end of seven years, his reasoning returned to him. And then that Nebuchadnezzar, upon his reasoning returned to him, gave glory to the God of Daniel. Come on, somebody. Gave glory to the God of Daniel and declared him to be the one true and holy God who rules and reigns, come on, in the kingdoms of men. And that God still rules and reigns. Come on. 2,700 years later, that God. Come on. During turbulent times and unsettling seasons, that God still rules and reigns in the kingdoms of men. That Daniel we see here continues on. And the Bible then picks up the story a couple of chapters later. 
And we're just journeying for just a moment because I've got some principles that I want you to, to, to connect with me for just a moment because I want you to see and I want you to anticipate more than just an exceptional year. I want you as a believer in Christ to believe that God can bless your life that it's not tied to just the tipping point of a calendar year, but it's about a principle of faith that if there's an excellent spirit in you, then God can bless you with an extraordinary and exceptional life, right? And then every day of your life, you'll get up expecting to walk in the goodness and the grace of God. Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And this uh, was laid in his... uh, and during the time of his reigning because judgment had been pronounced upon Babylon and uh, the Medes and the Persians were coming to attack the city. And while they were attacking the city, Belshazzar uh, is holed up in his palace. And, and, and in doing so, he goes and he requests that some of the original uh, instruments that they had taken out of Jerusalem that belonged to the worship of Yahweh would be brought into his court. And they would drink wine out of these golden goblets that belong exclusively to the worship of Jehovah God. And they would mock the God of Daniel. And as they did so, in the midst of this orgy and this, this party, while the enemy's gathering outside the walls, and this despotic monarch is, is so blinded to his own passion and lust that he can't see the reality of his, of his situation closing in on him, suddenly an invisible finger begins to write on the wall. And when he did, the Bible says that when that invisible hand began to write on the wall, that, 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 that the, uh, the king saw it, and he was so troubled that, that he, actually, he actually wet himself. His bowels were loose, and, and he wet himself, and, and he didn't know what to do because writing began to appear on the wall. And, and he was confused, and he didn't know what to do. But his wife had heard about Daniel and that excellent spirit that he had had. And, and so now this is the grandson uh, Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And so they bring Daniel in and Daniel reads the writing and he immediately interprets it by the spirit of God. Mene, mene, tekel upharsin, the scripture says. says that thou art weighed in the balances and art found lacking and that thy kingdom will be taken from thee and given to the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel once again had the courage to look a despotic monarch in the eye and speak the truth of the word of God to him. Because you have not humbled yourself, because you are aware of how that God dealt with your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, and you have humbled yourself before God, then the judgment of God is upon you. And, and, there, and when, when Belshazzar heard that, he wanted, to make, he wanted to pass gifts and gold over upon Daniel, and Daniel would have nothing to do with it. And before the night could pass, the Medes and the Persians penetrated the city, and Belshazzar was killed. But the Bible says Daniel's life was preserved. And Darius the Mede took the throne. And that's where we arrive in that sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. And Darius could have killed everybody in the palace. But you know what, church family? He had heard about Daniel. I'm telling you, an excellent spirit will go a long way. Come on, somebody. And walking in the blessing of God. And it begins with humbling yourself. And Daniel would face the last of his great challenges that we see in the word of God because Darius the Mede would set Daniel over the kingdom. And, but it, when he did, 120 princes were jealous and they sought to catch Daniel uh, in, in treason. And so Darius would sign a foolish decree. And only time is forcing me to move so quickly today. You've got to read the chapters 1 through 6 on your own because I want to go back and share with you some real quick bullet points to close. But Darius would sign a foolish and yet familiar to many of us decree that would forbid prayer to no God but to the king only. Because they couldn't catch Daniel in anything in, within the laws of Babylon. They would try 
to catch him in something corresponding to the law of his fathers. And because they knew that he prayed to the one true God. And so when Daniel uh, understood that the king's decree had been signed, he did what he had always done. He went up to his upper casement window. He knelt towards Jerusalem three times a day, and he called upon the name of God, and he blessed the people of ancient Israel. And when it was found out that Daniel continued to pray and disobeyed the, the king's requirement, then they came, and because it had been sealed by the king's signet ring, he had no choice. And so what the scripture says is that they took Daniel and they cast him into a lion's den. And they closed it with a giant stone. And the king was forced to seal it once again with his, signet stone, with his signet ring. And the king went back and he couldn't sleep that night because he wondered whether or not that God could preserve Daniel's life. But let me tell you, there is a God in heaven. Right? There's a God in heaven that can set, raise one up and set another one down. And that same God that can walk with you through the ups and downs of life, the highs and the lows, the difficult times, the sickness and in health times, come on, that God can preserve you in the most difficult hour. And I want you to know the darkness of that den was illuminated by the brilliant light of an angel of God that stood there that night and closed the mouths of the line. And Daniel had a peace. Come on, somebody. He had a peace in his heart. I wrote it this way, is that he was stilled on the inside and stilled on the outside because God was with him. A peace that passed all understanding. And you can only imagine to the amazement when the king went early to the lion's den that next morning and had his great soldiers roll the stone away. And with a feeble voice, he cried out and said, Has your God been able to save you, Daniel? And Daniel comes walking out of the darkness and said, My God sent an angel. Come on, somebody. My God sent an angel and kept me and preserved me. And then Darius the Mede, Darius the Mede then rejoiced in the God of Daniel. And so the reason why I drew the, your attention to this very quickly today is I just find such life in that third verse there in the sixth chapter that Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king sought to set him over the whole realm. And in my heart of hearts, I'm like you. I want something new. I want something uh, of God's grace and something of God's goodness in the calendar year 2017. But I want more than that. Come on, I want to be able to live a life that one day people will look back and say it wasn't just a date on a calendar. It wasn't just a 365-day window of time, but that from the earliest of days until he pillowed his head in death, that man lived an exceptional life for the glory of God. Come on, and you can. Daniel did. Four kings, four despotic monarchs looked at him and knew that he was different from anybody else in his court. And they knew that it had to be the work of God. And they, they discerned that he had an excellent spirit. I believe an excellent spirit will create for you not only an exceptional year, but an exceptional life. Right? And an excellent spirit will create for you an exceptional life. So I'm going to drop these little bullet points in your heart today. That I believe that if you'll just let the Holy Spirit write these on your heart, they will create within you something that will give life, something that will build upon in your heart the desire to have an excellent spirit. And that is point number one is you have to overcome your past. And you have to adapt to your present circumstances. You have to overcome your past. Maybe you didn't plan to go through a divorce. Maybe you didn't plan to go through a bankruptcy. Maybe you didn't plan to lose that job. Come on, maybe you didn't know somebody was going to walk out on your life. Maybe you were unaware that, that your spouse was going to die uh, prematurely. And you find yourself in a difficult situation. I'm tell you, you've got to not let your past. Daniel suffered a lot. We weren't there when they put him in chains. Perhaps his own mother and father were killed right in front of his eyes when he was brought back to Babylon. Brought to Babylon. But Daniel overcame his past and he adapted to his present circumstances. 
He made the most of the difficult season. Come on, and sometimes it's learning to adapt because sometimes we get caught in wanting something to be the way it used to be and that we can't see that where we are right now could be the will of God for something greater, right? And if you learn to adapt to your present circumstances, I'm telling you, God can begin to work miracles in your life. Number two, you've got to make a commitment to God that can be proven. I want to say that again because it's a great point that was made at the new year. Many times people come and they make a commitment to God. Many times, obviously, I've been pastoring now for 20 years. Sometimes people come back to church on the new year because something's happened. But I'm telling you, you need a commitment to God that can be proven. I'm not talking about almost, please forgive me for saying this, but jailhouse religion. Oftentimes when people are in, in, in incarcerated, they call this jailhouse religion. I've ministered in the jails and the prisons in days gone by. But because of their captivity, then they have an experience. And then, but then when they get out back in the real world, then they forget that moment. I'm looking for a commitment that can be proven. Daniel's commitment was proven. When Daniel rejected the king's meat and chose only to eat beans and to drink water when everybody else around him the same age as him was partying and having you know was 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 had joined a fraternity at the, their three-year college and was living life uh, you know at the expense of the king daniel said i'll sit over here in the corner and i'll eat me a bowl of pork come on something not pork and beans but a bowl of beans and, and i don't think pork would have been in there and and, and in doing so i'm going to trust that god's going to work in my heart and life your commitment to God's going to have to be proven, right? It's more than just uttering words. It's about when you're facing the issues of life that you're willing to walk forward in that commitment that you made to God. Number three, you've got to learn to recognize and to develop and to use your giftings for God's glory. You've got to learn that God put gifts in your life. We're all wired differently. But I'm telling you, God doesn't make any mistakes. He's put great giftings in your life. I mean, oftentimes, we, we look at some and we think, well, they're, they're just exceptional and, and I can't. No, you can. Greater is he that is in you. Come on, the life of Paul said it. I've repeated it earlier. I want to say it again. I am what I am by the grace of God. Right? God can work in you. You've got to take inventory of your life. What can you do good? What, what God put in your heart? Years ago in ministry, I thought that, uh, you know, my greatest gifting was to be an evangelist. Dr. Brasso, I thought that I would be the next Jimmy Swagger, and I'd be preaching all over and holding these mass crusades. And the problem is when I'd preach, a lot of folks wouldn't get saved. And, and it's because there was a gifting in me that was to teach and to equip and to shepherd and to just show compassion and I learned to take inventory and realize I might have had an aspiration in my mind that was not born of God because the aspiration in my mind was not consistent with the giftings that were in my life. But when I inventoried my giftings and I realized that I've been gifted to be a shepherd and I've been gifted to be a teacher and an encourager and an exhorter and I learned to accept that and receive it and walk in it, I'm telling you, then I began to blossom in the call of God in my life and be able to use that for God's glory. Right, and also for the good of mankind. And Daniel did. Daniel was blessing despotic monarchs. So you'll hear what I'm saying. Daniel didn't just reserve the blessing of God to the sanctified holy few. Daniel was willing to speak life and speak blessing right there even to despotic monarchs. It's for the glory. See, Jesus said it himself. Your father is so good. He makes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. Come on, if all we do is show kindness to good... Right? Then we're just like the world. 
That's why we're to love our enemies. Do good to those who persecute us. Isn't that what Jesus said? So use your gifts for the glory of God and for the good of mankind. Number four, be willing to speak the truth even when it's unpopular. Come on, somebody. I tell you, if you're going to have an excellent spirit, then you can't become conformable to this world. Now, it doesn't mean you're critical. It doesn't mean you're judgmental. But it means that you've got the courage to speak the truth. Two separate occasions, we read to two different kings. Daniel went into them at their request, and Daniel spoke the truth of the Word of God. I'm telling you, the culture around us has become so absorbed upon gratifying its, its sexual and fleshly appetites. And, and, and often the church is afraid to lift up its voice and say, you know what? If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. It's our responsibility to be salt and light, to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Did you know what the world needs? The world does not need for us to, uh, to come and to, and to take the word of God and to, and, and, to, and to twist it until it becomes a fable and, and just to, to appease their carnal appetites. The world needs us to be a bright and a shining light because people need the truth. Only the truth will deliver a man from error. Is that right? You've got to be willing to speak the truth even when it's unpopular. Number five, you've got to seek God in prayer because seeking God in prayer is always the right thing. Come on, if I say one thing in my heart, uh, I wrote it down in my, uh, for uh, my, my, my goals that I was going to talk to our staff about and our church about probably next Sunday night. But I'll tell you, we've got we've to create new opportunities for intercessory prayers, our church family. And we, you and I have got to realize seeking God in prayer is always the right thing, right? And not just leaning upon the arm of counsel or uh, asking somebody to share with you their advice. Now, listen, before Daniel got breakthrough, especially in that, that recorded second chapter, before he got the vision and the interpretation of the dream, he sought God in prayer. So I want to encourage you, seeking God in prayer is always the right thing, right? Locking yourself up, getting alone with God, praying through the night, not fretting. Not worrying. Come on, worry can dominate you even during your prayer time. Prayer requires boldness. The righteous are bold as a lion, the Bible says. The effectual, fervent, unceasing prayer of a righteous man will make much power available. You and I have got to seek God in prayer with a trust that God's going to give us a way out. God's going to bring us through it. Whatever it is, God is faithful. I don't know how deliverance is going to come, but God's going to bring deliverance. Right? So seeking God in prayer is always the right thing. Number six, when you know you're doing the right thing, then keep doing it. And I want to go back to that. It's in the sixth chapter. We didn't read it, so you have to capture it later. But when Darius was deceived by those other counselors to sign the foolish decree that prevented prayer to any god or to anyone but the king himself, making the king an idol, and, and Daniel heard that the king had signed the foolish decree, you know what he did? He went right back to his bedroom that morning, that noon, and that nighttime, and he prayed to the God of heaven. And so when you know you're doing the right thing, you got to keep doing it. Come on, and when you know that you're hiding the word in your heart, that's the right thing, then keep on doing it. When you're setting goals and you're getting up in the morning to, to study the word of God and to hide the word in your heart, then you got to keep doing it. When you're standing for truth in, the, in a generation of error, you got to keep doing it. Is that right? When you're walking in character in the midst of confusion, you've got to keep doing it. So keep being who God's called you to be. That excellent spirit was not tapped. 
It was not confined to just those first two chapters of the book of Daniel and Daniel's interaction with Nebuchadnezzar. But that excellent spirit continued through four generations, four separate monarchs, because Daniel was doing the right thing and he kept on doing it. I'm telling you, I know we live in a changing culture in America today. I know there's a lot where we see people that pronounce evil as good and good as evil. When truth, as Isaiah said, has fallen in the streets. But as for me and my house, come on somebody. We're going to stand on the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I'll stand alone upon the word of God. Come on, the B-I-B-L-E. If you know that by hiding the word of God in your heart, you are holding forth the word of life to a crooked and a perverse nation, then you keep on doing it. You keep on shining for Jesus. Number seven, sometimes suffering is the will of God. Got real quiet in here. You know, in the days ahead, I'm going to preach about suffering because we don't talk about it very much in the church today. But sometimes suffering is the will of God. Sometimes God's power is made perfect in weakness. Daniel suffered through some difficult seasons. Is that right? Are y'all with me out there? You know I'm on number seven. I'm almost finished here. Just these bullet points so y'all can stay with me for a few moments more. But sometimes you find yourself in situations that you didn't ask to be in. And that in the natural, you want out of those situations just as quickly as possible. But sometimes the God who plans, come on, has moved you into that position. Because God's going to raise up a mighty work through you, even in the midst of suffering. And his power is made perfect in weakness. And when those difficult days came to Daniel, and Daniel faced difficult moments, especially when he was cast into the lion's den. I'm telling you, Daniel could have tried in all of his might, and he could not have shut the mouth of one single lion. But when he trusted God, is that right? When he trusted God, even in his suffering, his power, God's power was made perfect even during his weakness. And God's power can be perfected in you. Come on. God's power can be perfected in you. Let's go today and we'll finish here very quickly. Who's coming back on this? Is that you, Aaron? You come back with me here to close today. Number eight, God can turn evil into an opportunity for good. Come on, you got to just catch hold of that. That'll help you live life with an excellent spirit. Come on, that'll help you rejoice. Right? I didn't feel good when I came to church, but that's making me feel better right there. Right, because great, come on, Romans 8 and 28, you know it, it's, it, it the Bible says that God's going to make everything work together for the good of those that love the Lord and those that are the called according to his purpose. And God can take what the enemy is meant for evil and God can do a twist on it. God can do a 180 on that thing and turn that thing all the way around and what the devil meant for evil, God's turned it for his good and for, or for your good and for his glory, right? And when you live life with that expectation... I'm telling you, that's consistent with that excellent spirit, and then that gives you hope in every season of your life. That no matter what you're going through, whether it's a difficult report from a doctor or whether it is a, a friendship that's failed, God can turn that evil into an opportunity for good. But you've got to look for good, right? You've got to look for good and look for God's good grace during those difficult seasons. Number nine, now, are y'all seeing how these things correspond to Daniel's life? And how that I just gave you a slight, a slight overview of the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. Primarily chapters 1 and 2 and 5 and 6. Just a slight overview.
of Daniel to show you these little nuggets that I believe that if you allow the Holy Spirit to just write these in your heart, write these in your mind, I'm telling you, then they're going to strengthen you. They're going to strengthen you and help create an excellent spirit in you. And an excellent spirit lived in your life on a daily basis can produce an exceptional life. An exceptional life that others around you will say, man, he didn't just have one little flash. It wasn't just one good year. It wasn't like winning the lottery is here today and gone tomorrow. No, they lived a life of exceptionalism before God. Number nine, the peace of God will keep your heart and mind. How many of you say the peace of God? Especially when I'm suffering. When I'm going through a situation I didn't ask to go through. What do I need? Sometimes the thing that we think we need the most is deliverance. Sometimes the thing that we need the most is just peace. Peace is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Worked in your heart and mind. I believe with all my heart. I wasn't there. But I believe that when Daniel was cast in that lion's den, he had the peace of God in his heart. I believe. I believe he was aware of how God had protected him. I think he thought back and thought, my God, God, you've been with me. I think he thought back of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's adventure in the fiery furnace. Does anybody remember how that, and, and I, I don't want to go back and, and tie that to this sermon, but you remember what they said when, when they were confronted with either bowing or burning? And they, they said this, those three men said this, they said, now listen, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. Come on. I believe that Daniel had such a peace in his heart that he went into the lion's den. He knew God was totally capable and willing. But at the same time, if God chose to take him to eternity that way, he was ready to go. Come on, he had the peace of God, right? Whether Paul said whether in life or in death, right? I think that's part of an exceptional spirit, don't y'all? About living life with the knowledge of both life and death. Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain, right? And so the peace of God keeps your heart and it's tied to an exceptional spirit because you know that God is working his perfect will in your life. And so number 10 today, as I close... God prospered Daniel's life, not just his new year. And that's a principle that I want you to capture today. And the reason why I want you to capture it is this right here. It's because the calendar date has changed, but the season may have not changed. And you may still be in your present plight, in your situation that you were in yesterday. You could still be in tomorrow. But you can change. Your circumstance may not change, but you can change. And an excellent spirit can give you a great grace. And God can prosper you. Until people around you know there's something different about your life. The word excellent, again, is a synonym of of extraordinary. Extraordinary. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want God's grace to be so real that even pagans notice something different about my life. Does that, does that make sense with y'all today? I believe God wants to give you more than just an exceptional year. He wants you to have an exceptional life. 
but it starts with an excellent spirit. That's what you can control. Right? By humbling yourself and submitting yourself to God. Now, if I could conclude this message here today, I want to go back to one particular point. And that point is this. I think it was the second one. I'm not for sure. But it said a commitment to God that can be proven. Make a commitment to God that can be proven. Does that make sense today? See, because it's easy to get responses from people. I can, I, can, I can say something to you that will probably move you emotionally and you'll raise your hand. And you say, oh yeah, well I, I'll do that. Or yes, I'm anticipating this. But, but I'm telling you, that is so shallow. You can, you can make, a, you can make you know, 10 New Year's resolutions, but that's not a resolution and a commitment are two different things. Right? You've got to keep these things. It's got to be proven. It's easy to sit at your desk or uh, your own like, private devotional area and write out some things and, and kind of, uh, you know, look forward, things that you would hope for. It's another thing to face trial, face persecution that's coming to you because of that commitment that you've made. You need to, you need to make a commitment to God that's going to endure, Right? Is that making sense to you? Isn't that kind of what Jesus said when he talked about the seed of the word of God? He said that the enemy comes immediately to steal that word. Or he talked about the seed that was sown on stony ground when it says it comes for the word's sake. So you've got to make a commitment to God that can be proven. It's not just, you know, that's not just born of emotionalism, but it reflects the sincerity of your heart. That's what I want to lead you in today. So if our heads could be bowed and our eyes closed for a few moments today, I appreciate you being in service with us today. I greatly do. You have shared your time with me, and I am so humbled by it. And I believe God laid this word on my heart for you. And I believe God gave me the strength to come here despite how I felt physically because you needed to hear this word. How many of you would like that excellent spirit? If you've already having some of you are discerning, so you know, I believe God's already given it to me. But I first believe it starts with just a profession of faith in Christ. There might be someone here today that you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. I was looking at the Old Testament person of Daniel, but it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus coming into your heart to change your life. That's where that excellent spirit's going to evolve from. If you're here today, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, today I would like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I feel the Holy Spirit leading me this way. I didn't know I came to church today. Somebody invited me, but, but man, I feel the Holy Spirit just tugging on my heart.